0: So as we've been uh, talking about today, we're finishing the last uh, topical series that we're gonna cover, which will probably be about five weeks on uh, friendships. Um, So, you know, whether it's small groups or just hanging out time and having conversation, we've been talking about friendships uh, for a long time. And it's a topic that always seems to have lots of questions. And that's really not much of a surprise because friendships are super awesome. And you can tell that because the slide has hearts. Yay, we like friendships. I don't think um, it's very surprising um, that we would want to talk about friendships because they're important and they're a massive part of our lives that we love. It's actually one of the best parts of our lives and I don't think it would be hard to convince you of that or to have you disagree with that. Um, One book that I was reading on uh, Christians having friendships, the subtitle of the book was uh, Friendships Half Our Sorrows. And double our joys. They half our sorrows and double our joys. And that's an awesome statement. That's really true. One of the reasons friendships are great is because they not only make life better, but they make the difficulties in life uh, easier. All of us, I would argue, want friendships. We like when people like us and we love when people want to live life with us. We love it when people care about what we're really thinking or what we want to be or what we desire. Uh, We want to be trusted and we want to trust other people and care about them and have them care about us. We want to enjoy life doing things with other people's company and input. We like having fun with them. We like it um, when we make them laugh, when they make us laugh, and when we get to share things together. And one of the reasons that's the case is because God designed us that way. God designed us uh, to live life together. But because friendships are awesome and because they're important and because they're such a central part of our life, um, that is also why friendships uh, seem to be so difficult so constantly. Um, If you've ever tried to make good friends or if you've ever tried to be a good friend, especially with people who are totally different from you, then you will know that friendship is difficult. Sometimes they're just regular daily difficulties like disagreeing with a friend about something and all of a sudden the vibe that you've had is just off and all of a sudden it's just awkward. And sometimes it's kind of beyond something daily. Sometimes a friend does something and we go home and the last thing we think before going to bed is, is that friend feel as close to me as I feel close to them? And then sometimes it has to do with all of these Things That we can't quantify. What if my friend moves away? Can we still be friends? Um, What if my friend becomes popular or if I become popular? um, Is this going to mess with my identity? Are people going to think differently of me based on the friendships um, that I have? What if they have other friendships or I have other friendships and the dynamic we had is thrown off because of one of our closeness with somebody else? just a whole bunch of different things that can make the awesomeness of friendship be robbed of so much of its joy. And I think that's why, um, even when I asked you guys to submit questions to me about friendships, why there was not only so many friendships, uh, or questions rather, about friendships, but there were many similar questions and then lots of different questions about friendships because our friendships look so different. Uh, This is a small um, amount of some of the questions that you guys gave me about friendships. How much should I invest into friendships? Should I have a lot of friends or just a few friends? Uh, What are some ground rules or expectations for my friendships? What if I don't have friends? How do I make good friendships or lasting friendships? How can I just disagree with a friend um, without losing their friendship? Should I ever end a friendship? Uh, What should I do if a good friend ends our friendship or moves on for our friendship? Is there any way to recover it? Uh, If a Christian doesn't want to be my friend, does that mean they're being unchristian? Should I have non Christian friends? Is it right to have non Christian friends if they could be a bad influence on me? Uh, Should I have close friends of the opposite gender? Or, what are boundaries for friends with the opposite gender? Or, should I have friends that are much older or much younger than me? And honestly, part of the reason I'm reading those particular questions is those are all really good questions. And that's not even all of the questions uh, that you guys were asking. And the thing that is really difficult about a lot of those questions is that most of them don't actually have yes or no answers. The world of friendship has a lot more depth to it than simply asking a question and then the Bible saying yes or no. So there's kind of two things that make friendships and the Bible kind of difficult. The first is that the Bible definitely has answers to these kinds of questions. But the problem, we might think, is that the Bible doesn't have answers like an encyclopedia. You don't just look up Psalm chapter 145. Oh, there it is. Don't. Thou shalt not have friends with the opposite gender. The Bible isn't that kind of clear. But the way the Bible does answer these kinds of questions is it gives you a method of living. That's better than just information. It gives you a method of living and a way of thinking so that as you live and encounter difficulties with friendships, this method of living can help you deal with difficult questions It can help you maximize your friendships. It can clarify things that previously weren't clear. And it can help you choose between right and wrong and even better and best. This method includes things like thinking critically, prioritizing relationships, being observant, uh, not overgeneralizing. And most importantly, what we're going to cover today is that this method works because it's dependent on God. And the one word that can sum up all of this about friendships, this method, is wisdom. What we're going to be talking about mainly in our series on friendship is wisdom. I want to talk to you about how wisdom is the essential ingredient for your friendships to be maximized for the glory of God, which means the time that we're going to spend in this series is mainly going to be in the book of Proverbs. Um, So if you'd like to turn there, feel free. Um, This is going to be more topical, so we're going to be jumping around the book of Proverbs. But if you want to kind of camp out in one section, um, feel free to turn over to Proverbs chapter 1. But if not, it's okay, because we'll be jumping around a little bit. But the reason we're in the book of Proverbs is because Proverbs is the book in the Bible on wisdom. And in order for you to understand why reading Proverbs is so important, because knowing wisdom is so important, the obvious thing we need to do is actually define what wisdom is. So the easiest way to define wisdom is this. Wisdom is guidance for life. Wisdom is guidance for life. Wisdom and knowledge are not the same thing. Knowledge deals more with facts and information and data. Knowledge is the world of yes or no. Wisdom definitely includes knowledge. It's not devoid from knowledge. But wisdom is more about living than knowing. Or another way you could say it is, wisdom takes knowledge and applies it to life in order to live well. It's taking what you know and using it in life to live well. I was reading a a big book on Proverbs that this guy wrote, and the one way he he described wisdom a lot of different ways. But one way he defined it is, wisdom is not never merely knowing facts, Let me say that again. Wisdom is never merely about knowing facts, but of knowing what to do with facts and then doing it. That's the difference. It's taking what you know, knowing how it applies in a situation, and then doing that thing. That's what wisdom is merely about. Wisdom literally has to deal with mastery over something or skill at something, being good at something. So, for example, in Exodus in the Old Testament, um, when God is talking to Moses about how to organize Israel, there's a lot of things that Israel needs. They need, for example, um, priestly clothes. The priests need to wear certain clothes and they need to build certain buildings. And so what happens is God says he fills um, certain people with a spirit of skill so that they can make the appropriate clothes. And then later he says he gives artistic ability to people so they can build certain buildings. And both the word for spirit of skill and the word for artistic ability, that's the word wisdom. So wisdom is dealing with being skillful at something. And when we overgeneralize the idea of wisdom, what we're talking about is you being a master at life. Wisdom helps you to be skilled at living the right way. A number of other ways you could say this. Wisdom is kind of like spiritual street smarts. Sometimes you talk to people who are eggheads, which is like they know a lot of things, or like a nerd, they just know a lot of things. You know, don't call your friends that, I'm just saying, if you use that. But then there's other people who are like street smart, which is kind of like they know how to behave socially, or they know how to get around in like society. Wisdom is more like the second one. Or another way you could say it is wisdom is like what you need to know to get a black belt at life. So all of that should be to say, wisdom is something that we should care about. And that's why we have the book of Proverbs because Proverbs explains that wisdom matters and that you need wisdom. And the book of, of uh, wisdom in Proverbs can be broken down into two parts. The first is chapter one to nine, which is kind of like a big sermon explaining to you what wisdom is and why it matters and what you need to do with it. And then chapter 10 to 31, which is most of the book, are these single sayings in two lines. And they're literally called proverbs. They're like short, meaningful, and memorable statements. And what all of the, all of those statements are, are insights into life. And the whole point is not taking a proverb and on a sudden you know everything about life, or taking a proverb and now you just have know everything about a situation. But proverbs are short, memorable statements for you to have clarity about one tiny but significant part of life. Just one insight. And we'll explain later how you're supposed to understand those, but that's basically what it is. And on the surface, when you read those little memorable Proverbs, one of the ways they're explaining to you how they help you live life is it talks in the language of rewards and benefits. So for example, tons of Proverbs say, if you take wisdom, good things will happen to you. A whole bunch of the Proverbs, for example, some, um, explain that the rewards wisdom gives you are honor, long life, healing, justice, strength, prudence, discretion, riches, and God's favor. And on the other hand, Proverbs also constantly warns that if you ignore wisdom or want to live a foolish life, which is the opposite of wisdom then there's going to be a lot of consequences. And some of those consequences are violence, stumbling, being deceived, sadness, and death. So all of that, just to say, is on the surface, Proverbs is explaining to you, your life will be better if you live by wisdom. And a lot of those benefits, if you actually read those Proverbs, have to deal with people. They have to deal with being better at dealing with people or things to avoid so you have better relationships with people. And because we're doing a series on friendships, it should be obvious that Proverbs is giving you wisdom so that your friendships would thrive. Proverbs gets you insight on how you should deal with people and how you should not, how to speak in such a way or communicate in such a way that you would receive respect and demonstrate care and ways to not interact or ways not to speak Um, so that people would not want to not be friends with you. Proverbs is, on the surface, really, really clear about explaining why wisdom is helpful. You could say it this way. The Proverbs helps you gain and grow good friendships, and it also helps you avoid failure in your friendships. Or another way you could say it is this. A relationship with wisdom will give you better relationships with people. A relationship with wisdom gives you better relationships with people. And I say relationship because you knowing wisdom isn't, I know this thing and I'm done with it. It is an active dependence on wisdom. It is an active dependence on learning and growing in wisdom. Proverbs chapter seven, verse four says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call insight your intimate friend. That's relational language. Now, even saying that, though, it might be unclear. When you say have a relationship with wisdom, what does that actually mean? What does that look like? And Proverbs actually has a very simple answer for that. The way you have a relationship with wisdom is that you care about your relationship with the God of wisdom. Pretty straightforward, right? If God has wisdom and you have a relationship with God, then God's wisdom becomes your wisdom. Proverbs explains that, and it explains that the kind of relationship you have with God matters, because it is literally the beginning of wisdom. That's actually the thesis and starting place of the book of Proverbs. It says, have this kind of relationship with God, and you will receive his wisdom. And the kind of relationship you need to have is to fear the Lord, to fear the Lord. That's mentioned in chapter 1, verse 7, as like the thesis statement of the whole book of Proverbs. Proverbs. And then it's summarized at the end of the sermon section in chapter 9, verses 10. You need to fear the Lord because, Proverbs says, that is the beginning of knowledge. Knowing God means knowing wisdom, which means knowing how to be a friend. That's the idea behind Proverbs. And even though this idea of the fear of the Lord is a really big concept, and we only have so much time, the easiest way to explain to you How Proverbs defines the fear of the Lord is that fearing the Lord means taking God's advice. That's what it means. Fearing the Lord means taking God's advice. Fearing the Lord means respecting God so much and taking him so seriously that you want his advice to guide all of your life. To guide all of your life. And the reason is because God's advice is the best advice to live by. Someone defined a wise life, for example... As a life built on the assumption that God's revealed way is the norm. So another way of saying that is, whatever God says, this is how you should live. That's the normal way to live. And even though just saying that, it might seem obvious, Proverbs actually doesn't think that's very obvious to people. Because the author of Proverbs doesn't think most people think that. So Proverbs is constantly reminding us that God's advice is the best advice to live by. So for example, Proverbs reminds us that God created the world. Something you would think would be obvious, but something that apparently we need to be reminded of. And so Proverbs says, for example, in chapter 3, verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. And in chapter 8, verse 23, wisdom was set up before the beginning of the earth with God. Those are basically very poetic ways of saying God organized the whole universe. So why wouldn't he have the best plan to organize your life? God created everything. He shaped everything. So why would you ignore his advice to shape your life? That's what he's saying. Another example that Proverbs says is that Proverbs reminds you that only God knows what good and evil are. Only God understands morality perfectly. So for example, in chapter 8, verse 13, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is is hatred of evil, is hatred of evil. The idea is God hates evil and is completely opposed to it, so all of his vice advice will steer you away from morally wrong choices and then towards morally righteous choices. That's why Proverbs uses language like righteousness and justice and uprightness constantly. And that's really important because... If you go back to that surface level stuff about rewards and consequences, most people understand in their hearts that a good life isn't just about getting things, right? A good life includes being a good person. If you were someone who was very, very rich, but then you found out that person was a dictator and they stole everything from a person or all the people that are under them, you would say that's a bad life. That is a wrong way to live because morality is involved in living a good life. And Proverbs is telling you, we do not know right and wrong instinctively. And so when Proverbs tells you this is the right way to go, that matters because it's not obvious what is the right way and the wrong way to go for us. And as a third example, Proverbs is constantly reminding you that only God can promise peace and prosperity. We do not have control over our lives, but God is sovereign over everything. So when he has a path that leads to good, he can actually guarantee that these things can happen for you. So for example, Proverbs promises pleasantness and peace, being at ease, a prolonged life, strong confidence, rest and satisfaction, and escape from harm. And we'll talk later about how these statements aren't necessarily objective in every single instance of your life. Proverbs isn't promising you a perfectly comfortable life, but what he's saying is that God can ultimately promise anything and have it to pass when he desires because he's God. That's the idea behind Proverbs. And so if you go back to this idea of fearing the Lord, because all of those benefits that I just mentioned are all in passages that say, fear the Lord and this will happen. The idea of fearing the Lord isn't living as someone terrified of God, which is what fear tends to mean, right? That word fear has a lot more to do with being so at awe, being in awe, being amazed and reverencing how good God's character is because he wants to steer you from safety and he wants to bring you to good. God is so beyond us. Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you are mindful of him? And yet God would care what happens to your life. That is an awe-inspiring, groundbreaking thought that should really make us want to take his advice, especially over the advice of anyone in the world. For example, Proverbs chapter 23, 17 says, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. If you understand that fearing God is a good thing, then you will understand how good a life living with that God is. And you won't want the life of someone who loves sin because a life in God is so much better. The simple way, if you forgot everything that I just said, because it's a lot of information, the simplest way to encapsulate all of that is just to say this. Proverbs reminds you that the purpose of your life is to glorify God by living according to his plan. That's the summation of all of that. Proverbs shapes your life to live for God because life is about God, right? The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Wisdom tells you this is the best life to live for God. And I know, I know honestly that this is something that we seem to talk about every single week. And so it seems overly repetitive, and maybe kind of boring if every single week we're always, the main point is to glorify God and to do everything for him. But the thing is, when we talk about friendships, that's actually super important to start with, even if it feels repetitive. And the reason it matters is because we might say, yeah, glorifying God, that's the most important thing in the world. But if you observed your life, you notice that a lot of the decisions you make And a lot of the decisions I make, too, aren't actually for God's glory. That's what wisdom reminds you of. You could isolate or put a microscope to all sorts of things in your life. Maybe you can imagine God sitting next to you and pointing out different things in your life and saying, why did you do that? Why did you do that? And sometimes it's hard to see a lot of those decisions be like, yeah, I actually did that for God's glory. I actually went and pursued this direction and not this direction because I thought it would glorify you. Or I didn't do this thing because I thought it would displease you. Even Christians have a lot of trouble glorifying God in the regular patterns of their life. And nowhere, I would argue, is that more obvious than in our friendships. We can get so entitled about making friendships our way. And we can get so quick at making friendships, which are relationships with other people, all about us. We can want so many things from our friends. We can want them to be faithful to us. We can want them to be good caretakers and good encouragers and to help us with our homework and to get us into clubs and sports teams and to make us laugh. And all the while, we are forgetting that we actually have to be good friends. And we don't actually realize that All this time we've been spent critiquing our friends for not being perfect friends. And we have no pressure on ourselves to be the best friends that we can be. And so what God does is he starts by telling you that the good life is not about you. And the good life is not about your friendships. The good life starts with making life about God once that is established in your brain, that God is the purpose of my life, everything else falls under that. Which means that the decisions I make are all about what brings God glory. And all of a sudden, this topic of friendship isn't all about who are the perfect people to be friends with. What do they need to be? What can they not be? What do I not want them to be? And that question about friendship is now about, how can I be the friend God wants me to be, no matter who my friends are? The purpose of life is about God. God wants me to be a good friend. That's the order of importance. According to Proverbs, explaining to you what the best life to live is. That's where it starts. The next two things about wisdom fall pretty easily about that because... Honestly, that could feel like pretty normal, good Christian advice for anybody. But Proverbs is a little bit more specific. Because I don't know if you know this, but Proverbs isn't just telling all Christians about wisdom. Proverbs is a book specifically written for youth. I don't know if you knew that. Proverbs is primarily a book that was written for young people to be good at life. And you'll see that if you actually read the first Four verses of proverbs where he says this book is to give prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the youth that's proverbs chapter 1 verse 4 now even though other places in the proverbs explain you know who else needs wisdom is wise people because everyone needs to constantly grow and be more wise proverbs says that but most of the time it's saying the people who need wisdom are youth are you specifically? Proverbs might be the most specifically written book for you. Proverbs doesn't always say youth or young people. There's a couple other words we'll use later, but two of the most important words that it used to describe youth. Number one is foolish, or the word is used simple. And before you tune out because you think I insulted you, let me explain to you what simple and foolish means because it doesn't mean dumb and it does not mean stupid. That's not what it means. And I can see by the smiles on your faces, some of you are happy about that. The word simple or foolish is talking about inexperience. It's talking about being inexperienced at living, which is obvious, right? I think if that was offensive, then that doesn't make any sense. Because if you're young, the implication is you haven't lived a lot of life yet. And one of the best ways you learn about how to live is by living. People who are older than you have a life education because of the amount of years they've lived before you. They've gone through difficulties. They've had to make a lot more decisions where they could see where they ended up for good or where they went wrong. They've dealt with heartache. They've seen things go their way and things not go their way. And that gives them a kind of education that you do not have because you have not lived. That's all that Simple is talking about, saying you are young, you need wisdom, because you haven't lived very much yet. But the second word that's really, really important as well is that youth are also described as gullible. Some of that might be a little bit easier to understand, but again, it's not an insult. One person described gullibility as being dangerously open. And this is the idea. If you're young and haven't lived and you need experience, you will go out to get experience. Right? You will go out and have experiences or you'll read things. But the problem is, because you don't have this background of living, you don't exactly know who to trust. And so you can be dangerously open. Anything that comes, you can say, let's do it. I like one person described it as the sign of the gullible is the shrug. It's saying, yeah, why not? Because you need to learn somehow. But the problem is without having any other information, you can be very quick to make decisions, to be impatient, um, and to not understand how bad certain consequences could be if you made the wrong decision. And that's why Proverbs is talking about wisdom for youth. Because the most important thing that you need to maximize your life is not just getting wisdom, but to be a wisdom learner, to be someone who wants to constantly learn. And when you have that, your ability to be guided into good friendships and to be guided into being a good friend is suddenly possible and probable. And the person who knew that, maybe more than any other human being besides Jesus Christ, uh, was King Solomon. And he's actually the one who wrote a lot of the book of Proverbs, most of the book of Proverbs. He wrote a lot of it uh, when he was older, but he was also reflecting on when he was young and he, when he was becoming king. And way back in the Old Testament, when it explains the story of when Solomon was becoming king, he was probably around 20 years old, it says that God actually came to him and asked Solomon what he wanted. Solomon could have asked for anything. He could have asked for power or riches or flight, I don't know, whatever he wanted, and he didn't ask for any of those things. In 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, it says that Solomon asked for wisdom. Some of you know that story, but I wonder if you know why he asked for wisdom. Because if you look at 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, it says the reason he wanted wisdom is so he could govern people. I don't know if you knew that. Solomon knew that as he was becoming king, he didn't really have good instincts when it came to people. He had a good Bible education because he grew up under his father, David, and he had a good example in his father, David, both on how to be a good king and also how to fail because David made some massively big mistakes, but both his education and his example, he did not believe were enough. He believed that he needed a kind of personality, a kind of character that never thought he knew enough that always thought there was another aspect of his life that could be lived better and that God had the answers for that. So when God asked him, I'll give you anything you want, he said wisdom. And that's why he writes the book of Proverbs, because he didn't just care about the people he was governing. He cared about every God follower that came after him, especially you. He cared about you being a learner or another way you could say it is this way. You needing wisdom means you need to prioritize at the top of your list of things I need to be is humble and teachable. That's what wisdom is about. You need to be humble and teachable. Now again, going back to friendships, why is being humble and teachable and learning wisdom, why does that matter for friendships? This is why. The friendships you have now could define your view of friendship for the rest of your life. And you know what? All of us want to be respected. All of us want to have our opinions. But if you form the wrong opinions now, it could wreck so much of your relationships moving forward. Proverbs explains that stubbornness will kill you. Proverbs explains that recklessness will wreck your life. And one of the biggest ways it will do that is if you have the wrong friends around you, but even more importantly, if you are the wrong kind of friend. So Proverbs says this, heed instruction, receive discipline, allow people to rebuke you, and most importantly, ask God to give you advice about life. And the reason it's telling you that so much is that is not easy to take. The last thing anybody wants to hear is, I told you so, or because I said so. And if you are considering, if you are a teachable person, think about the last time your parents gave you a chore you didn't wanna do. Because that isn't a random event, that is who you are. When Ashley tells me to take out the trash and I don't want to, and I get frustrated, that is who I am. We are not very teachable. Here's the good thing. Proverbs isn't written as a big book that says, I told you so. It's not going after you. It's not laying down the law. If that was the case, Solomon would have written this book in the tone of a king. Because he was a king, right? He could just use his authority to say, I'm a king, believe me. But he doesn't. The tone of Proverbs is of a father, actually. Almost every single chapter of chapters one to nine, he says, my son, my son, my son, listen to me, heed my instruction, listen to my words, bind them on your wrist, put them in your heart. He's not forcing you to obey him. He's pleading with him as someone who loves you and cares about you. And that is why God chose Solomon to write Proverbs not because he was the wisest person who ever lived, although that was obviously important. It was because God wanted his heart of compassion to come through to you. So he picked a father. He picked someone who could communicate to you, please listen to the words that will save your life. That's why Proverbs is there for you. So the next time you go through something like this, the next time someone tells you something to do, the next time the Bible gives you a commandment that seems more difficult to you, but especially with the wisdom Proverbs, the next time there seems to be something that is on the path of righteousness that is difficult, remember, it's written because God loves you. So it's easier for you to swallow. That's the point of wisdom in Proverbs. Wisdom is guidance for life and wisdom is guidance for young people's life. And the last thing I want to explain is that wisdom is guidance for young people's lives because life is complicated. Because life is complicated. I said at the beginning of this sermon already that wisdom and knowledge are different. Knowledge is given to you to answer black and white questions. Knowledge is written for you to have yes or no answers to your questions. Wisdom says... No. Life is more complicated than that. Wisdom says our world has twists and turns and surprises, and not everything is about right and wrong. A lot of things are about better and best. That's the world Proverbs lives in. And you know what the thing is? We don't like that. We like simple. We like easy. We like answering asking a question and receiving an answer right away. And Proverbs says... That's not the way righteous people live. That's not the way you maximize your life. And you know how Proverbs communicates that to you? Proverbs messes with you. I've been reading Proverbs for the last couple months and I can tell you even just by experience, Proverbs messes with you like no other book in the Bible. Proverbs, in a sense, is often designed to be a little confusing. For example, Proverbs will say a certain statement and the very next statement will seem to contradict that previous statement. So, for example, there's a proverb that says, I believe it's in 26, do not answer a fool according to his folly. It says, if someone says something foolish, don't answer them. You know what the very next proverb is? Answer a fool according to his folly. So you look at both of those and be like, How, that doesn't make sense. It says do something and then don't do something. How does that make sense? Then there's other proverbs that you read and it says, um, there are people who do this, and you'll read it and be like, "Oh yeah, totally, I do that." And then the very next one will be like, "And that's the way to death." You're like, and then you'll look at it and be like, "Wait, that first statement seems true. So why does it say that leads to death?" And then there's some statements that just seem to make absolutely no sense. And I was looking at a couple of these, and I'm sure contextually they make sense, but based on where we are, they don't seem to make enough sense. Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-seven says. There will be enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household, and for the maintenance for your girls. Anyone want to raise their hand and explain to me what that proverb means? Because I'll tell you, I don't understand that proverb. But here's the point of all of those examples. Proverbs isn't an encyclopedia to life. Proverbs makes you live as someone who thinks. Proverbs isn't just, okay, take that and apply it. Proverbs is, take this put it in my head for weeks and years and all sorts of time and see how it works out in different situations. Or you could say it this way. The reason Proverbs feels complicated is because your life is complicated. Proverbs is designed to make you stop being lazy as you live. So often something can get difficult and we'll just run to a lot of counselors and say, Help me answer my life's questions. But God is saying, you as an individual need to think as you live. And Proverbs is here to help you do that. Life is complicated. Not every dilemma is between right and wrong, between good and evil. Often it is between, this is a fine road to go down. But this is a better road to go down. And you should go down this road. Proverbs makes you think Because it's the thinkers, the people who meditate, Psalm 119 says, over and over. Those are the people who maximize their spiritual lives for the glory of God. And this is why this matters for your friendships. Your friendships will be with all sorts of different people. And they will be in such unique seasons and periods of life. And they will believe radically different things. And the Bible won't necessarily have direct answers for you. But Proverbs will make you think about the best way to love that person. Even if Proverbs won't have a direct answer for what to do with this kind of person, what to do with that kind of person, it will make you a thinker. So you will be on the path to an answer for that person. That's what Proverbs is designed to do for your friendships. The reality is that the reason that Proverbs does that, because it might seem unfair and it might feel difficult, is because Proverbs doesn't just want you to have friends. It wants you to thrive in your friendships. God wants you to be the greatest friend you could be for his glory and for your good. That's why Proverbs takes you down this route. And even though sometimes Proverbs will not directly answer your questions, Proverbs also does not ignore all your questions. It doesn't say all your questions are irrelevant. What it does is it gives you a starter kit with step one, two, and three of how to start thinking about maximizing your friendships. Step one, fear God. Before you think about any relationship on earth, think about your relationship with your heavenly father. How's that going? Is there anything going on in this relationship that will translate to this relationship? Because ultimately what God is saying in Proverbs is that as this relationship begins to thrive, these relationships begin to thrive. Step one, fear God. Step two, rely on God's wisdom. Before you start selling your opinions as wisdom, look and meditate on Proverbs and see if you agree with God. Sometimes even the simplest things you believe are actually not what God believes. Some of the opinions that you've had for a really long time and take for granted, they're actually totally contrary to God. And what God is not just saying, you're wrong, I'm right. He's saying, that might be okay, but this is better. And you will feel how much better it is if you just trust me on this. Fear God, rely on God's wisdom. And this is the third. Read Proverbs. Read Proverbs. Fear God, rely on his wisdom, and then actually read his wisdom. Read the insights that God provided for you through a man who experienced life in a maximized way. Read Proverbs because they will help you think about how to spiritually thrive in very different situations all across the map. And because that's a lot of info, let me just end by saying this. I know it doesn't feel easy to try and take this kind of information because you guys already have busy, complicated lives and you're thinking about homework and you're thinking about plans and vacations and summer and all of those things. So asking you to think and read isn't just the most amazing thing ever. But this is the thing. The reason this is amazing is because God wants to use wisdom to invite you into the greatest thing That you could be a part of, which is a relationship with God. When Proverbs is read by you and it gets confusing and you have to think and you feel needy and weak and a bit like a moron because you feel like, I just don't understand this, Proverbs is just trying to remind you that you need to depend on God. And you know what? God wants you to depend on Him because He wants to teach you how to think wisely. By giving you a spirit that would understand this wisdom. Which is just a nice way of saying Proverbs is one of the best books in the Bible to actually point you to the gospel. The gospel is not about you doing. It is all about what God has done for you. God wrote Proverbs not so that you could be wise and suddenly earn God's respect to get you into heaven. It's backwards. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He lived a perfect life that we would be perfect before God and he was punished for our sins on the cross so that none of our sins would be punished on us. And God did all that because he already loved us and then he gave you Proverbs. The difference between accepting wisdom and not accepting wisdom is not the question of being a Christian or not. The question of Proverbs is saying, do you want your life to be about God? Because God wants you to make your life about him. And he has given you the ability, if you depend on him, starting with the gospel and then going to Proverbs, so that you could maximize your life for his glory. And as we start there and understand that, I promise that that is a kind of route that is going to help us navigate the world of friendship so much easier if you start there. Fear God. Take his wisdom understand it and see how radically it affects your relationships for the better let's pray father if there's if there's anything unclear or difficult in in anything we're talking about or any words i'm using please just cut through and make these things clear father we love friendships and want to talk about them and In order to do that, Father, we need to take a step back and look at our relationship with you. Do we fear you? Do we love you? Do we respect you? Do we actually want you to guide our lives? Father, when we make a decision, can you help us to take your advice first? Father, when we really don't want to follow righteousness because unrighteousness feels so much better, can you please clarify our hearts? Father, when we use the language of coolness or popularity to define who we can be friends with, can you please remove that language and replace it with godliness and goodness? That we wouldn't just have friends. We wouldn't just have people around us who agree with us or make us feel good. Father, we would have friends that care about our soul. That we would have friends that are a reflection of how good your son, Christ, is to us. And Father, most importantly, that you would shape us to be the kind of friends you want us to be. Father, as we look at you, please help us to put the expectation on ourselves that you can actually make us the kinds of friends that you want us to be. And Father, as you do that, please show that you have a plan to provide friends to us. You want us to have people walking side by side with us all the way into eternity But Father, please first humble us and make us teachable so we can rely on your advice that we can grow as a friend. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Uh, Two quick things before you run off. One is I want to give you a little bit of an expectation because we didn't talk super, super directly about friendships. We're talking more about wisdom to set some of the boundaries for friendships. So let me explain to you the next four weeks uh some of the topics that we're going to get into uh one topic we're going to get into is ending friendships should i ever end a friendship and who should i be friends with and that's going to include i think a good amount of information on being friends with unbelievers yes or no and if yes how we're going to talk about how to be a good friend if proverbs could give you a couple pieces of advice on how you can become a better friend or take steps to be a better friend what would those be Uh, Number three, opposite gender friendships. Should I be friends with people of the opposite sex? What happens if I have feelings or I'm romantically interested in someone who is a friend? How do I navigate that? Should I navigate that? Should I turn off my feelings? What should I do? Uh, That's one of the things we're going to be talking about. And then uh, there's another one, and I can't remember what it is, but those are at least three of the big ones that we're going to be talking about. Next week, there's going to be a Q&A. I'm going to be out of town um, with some of the pastors doing a conference for that week. So Will is going to have a bunch of people coming here, and they're going to do a bit of a panel to talk about friendship. So uh, we're still working out exactly what that looks like. But one suggestion I'd have for you is start thinking about some of your friendship questions so you can ask a whole bunch of different people about those questions. Because not only will they help me with things in the future, those people will be able to help you incredibly. Um, This is the second thing I want to tell you, which is that as we do this, if you want, I would love to invite you into a little bit of an assignment I want to do as we do this. Since Proverbs is all about taking the bull by the horns and actually using this information to think, and because we'll be all over, if you want, one of the things that I'm going to be doing is every week, I'm going to be reading one of the full of Proverbs chapters. So this week it was chapter 10, and what I'm going to do is read the whole chapter every day until Friday, and then think of one or two Proverbs to memorize so that by the end of the series, you'll have five or six Proverbs in your head. And that is plenty of Proverbs because the whole point of a Proverb is you're supposed to put it in your head and munch on it for a really, really long time. So the one I memorized today was Proverbs ten seventeen, which which say, says, whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but whoever rejects reproof leads others astray so the point is listen to people do good don't listen to people other people suffer so i put that in my head because i'm like oh why doesn't say i suffer he says other people suffer so that's what i've been doing so this week um if you want i'm going to ask next week if anyone has done this read proverbs chapter 11 okay read proverbs chapter 11 try to read it every day it takes like three minutes if you have an audio bible if you're on your way to school just plug it in your ear and just listen to that chapter and pick one proverb just one proverb and try and memorize it and put it in your head so that by the time we come here you've munched on it for like a week so start by doing that tonight go home and read proverbs 11 and try and pick one proverb that you can memorize just one And if you don't trust yourself going tonight, then small group leaders, you can do that now if you want in your small groups. Just read through Proverbs 11 and then pick one. But that's up to you if you want to do that. Anyway, we've only got a little bit of time, so feel free to break off into your small groups. We will see you back here at 930, and we'll need to set up uh, tables for uh, Women of the Word tomorrow. Thanks, guys.